Hi, welcome to the Gun.io Frontier Podcast. I'm Ledge, and today I have Josh Hendler with us. Josh is the Chief Technology Officer of Purpose, a global strategic consultancy and creative agency that builds and supports campaigns and tools for leading organizations, activists, business, and philanthropies. Josh is a uh, political technology leader. He served as a technology chief for the Democratic National Committee and for Organizing for America. He's also worked with the Obama campaign, Rock the Vote, and Major League Baseball. Josh, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Awesome. So you and I met on Twitter, of all things, and I reached out. And, you know, I was really interested in this project you and Purpose are doing called uh, Crush the Midterms. So tell us just quickly about that. And, and I want to dive into, you know, after that, the, the technology picture behind something of this nature, because I, I think that'll be really interesting to our technology leadership audience. Yeah, absolutely. So it turns out that this election happening in 50 odd days is really, really important. And so uh, way back in, um, I would say May or June, we came up with this idea, which was, it's actually really complicated to figure out, given all the elections that are happening everywhere across the country, what's the best way for an individual to actually get involved? If you're trying to volunteer time, if you're trying to give your money, if you're trying to activate your friend network, answering that question seems like it should be really straightforward, uh, but it turns out it's far from straightforward. There are obviously elections happening on the federal uh, level, in the House and the Senate, uh, but there are also incredibly important elections happening at a highly local level. You know, state House and state Senate elections are some of the most important ones happening. So, so essentially, we, we decided to really, we think of this as an experiment, come up with a way to take a bunch of folks, take a bunch of information from folks, and uh, based on about eight questions, uh, we have a, an algorithm that spits out like an actual recommendation for here's the most impactful thing that you can do over the next 55 days uh, to help win the midterm election. And I will, I will put my partisan hat on and say that it's definitely set up to, uh, to help Democrats. I know not everyone agrees with that. Uh, but but that's, really, that's really where we came up with the idea. And uh, we launched at the, uh, at the tail end of July and just have gotten really fantastic feedback. And um, we're, we're continuing to, to build it and, um, and grow it and make it even more useful and help folks crush the midterms. Fantastic. That's really exciting. And I know like the first thing I looked at, I was saying, wow, this thing is going viral, you know, in the way that everybody hopes that their thing will go viral. So, you know, maybe y'all planned on that. Uh, maybe you're surprised in the results. You know, either way, there's a technology scaling question going on there. And I would love if you would dive into, you know, what is what is the stack? How are you handling that? The load, the you know, distribution of traffic, the the hosting, you know, everything there. Like, wh what's this look like on the backside to make something like that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we definitely. When we're running these sorts of projects, we know, number one, they're always experiments. So what we don't want to do is spend months and months building infrastructure and making it as scalable as possible before it actually meets the world. 
Um, that said, uh, we also know that in politics, your big moments are often the most unexpected ones. Um, it's often not launch day. It's often when uh, some random celebrity decides to shine some light on your project. Um, and all of a sudden you go from, you know, a couple dozen users in an hour to hundreds of thousands. So uh, that, that is definitely something I've experienced before in politics. And so that, that has definitely led us to a way of thinking about how to build these things and deploy them in a way that's not necessarily over-engineered, um, but in a, way that, in a way that can scale in big moments. So typically we are um, at Purpose and um, Crush the Midterms very at home in AWS world. And so um, in terms of the tech itself, we built it in a relatively straightforward way. Um, it is Python and Django with Postgres uh, as a database. We are absolutely in love with AWS's Aurora uh, database um, that, you know, just makes scaling this uh, dramatically easier. Essentially, you know, we've set this up on Amazon using their container service and um, set it up in such a way that, um, uh, and been able to deploy it such that like, yes, okay, we're not going to overinvest in um, in infrastructure on day one, but if this does get really popular, then we're able to, to scale it uh, really, really easily and deal with whatever that unexpected load is. The other thing I will say is that like, we've definitely have tried to, in big moments, think about like, okay, what, what could this possible scale look like? And as much as possible, trying to, um, trying to run some testing ahead of time um, to see, okay, you know, how many, how many visitors can we actually deal with? How many plans can we create in a given moment? Um, and, and so that's definitely something we've thought a little bit about. And as I said before, it's like totally a balancing act. We didn't want to over-engineer this, but we also like know that this is incredibly important and it's happening in 50 days. And like if we crashed during the moment when some major celebrity featured us, that would be really bad. <laughs> And so is the scaling up and down or just up maybe? Is it, is it automatic or have you set some kind of, is that a threshold based thing? And I'm, I'm not a DevOps guy. So, you know, how does that work? I think, you know, from a horizontal vertical standpoint. Yeah. So um, we have a, a little bit of both horizontal and vertical. So we, we've tried to set this up in such a way that we can, um, scale horizontally um, at the very least on the on the app side and um, we basically have taken the approach of like you know trying to have enough capacity such that like if we need to scale horizontally at any moment we can do that manually we haven't yet set that up at a place where it's scaling automatically that has served us reasonably well. I think the other thing is that we've tried to take this approach of like guessing what the, you know, highest possible traffic, like what traffic could be in a really good world, multiplying that by like five or so and making sure we're prepared for that. Um, so like, okay, like if we're doing really well, we're seeing this amount of traffic and making sure we have the infrastructure to support like five times that. And this is all like a totally rough guessing game. That's been really helpful. And then, you know, making sure things like Aurora really help us on the database side uh, with the ability to add read replicas and scale that, um, you know, to some extent horizontally as well. And what are the, you use a bunch of data to help people make their 
plans. That's not data that's probably easy to access. I imagine there's no, you know, sort of open API for all these things. Where'd it come from? How'd you get it? Is this, is this a scraping or a crawling or, you know, what, what's going on here? Yeah. So that's a great question. So we realized pretty early on that part of the challenge here was uh, that this data just wasn't all in the same place and that like, that's one of the reasons that this was a particularly hard problem. So the, the answer is a little bit of all of the above. So uh, number one, you know, just like understanding what political geography someone lives in is the first problem, right? So like what house district are you in or what state senate district are you in? Um, good news about that is we're able to pull in um, a lot of um, publicly available census data. Um, and shape files to um, to actually make those determinations. So using PostGIS to actually bring in those shape files and understand exactly what district people are in. That is all largely publicly available, though, um, especially when you get to newer uh, districts um, that have been changed recently, those aren't always available via the census, which is a little bit of a pain in the butt. Um, so, so number one, we're able to pull together a lot of publicly available information. Um, number two, we um, absolutely just had um, do some scraping and pulling data from sites that, you know, aren't available in open format. Like one challenge was like, we wanted to like feature like 30 or 40 different organizations that are out there. And like, what's the best way to volunteer? So they're a little bit of just a brute force thing here of like getting some of our team in a room and, uh, and, and searching for things and building up some of these databases ourselves. And, uh, and, and that, that, was, that was challenging. And then finally, finding partners, uh, a number of different partners who, who actually were trying to solve different slices of this problem. And in some cases, those partners had readily available APIs. Um, and in some cases, we had to work with them to figure out uh, how to get access to that um, sort of more undocumented APIs. But it was really like a combination of trying to pull data from like eight to 10 different sources and combine it. And also like going back to the scaling question, when we become heavily reliant on partners, making sure that that doesn't create a potential single point of failure for the entire app. So we've tried to employ pretty aggressive caching strategies um, so that in the case one of our partners fails, we'd be in a reasonably good position until they came back up. So that's something we really thought about a lot. And it's obviously like when you're reliant on a number of different APIs, which we are, <laughs> is, is something that, that we thought about ahead of time. And tried to anticipate because we've seen we've seen these sort of failures happen before when we're not like entirely in control of, of our own destiny. You know, there there turns out uh, a great example of open data that we're able to use is that the DNC, uh, the Democratic National Committee earlier this year released a, actually I think last year, um, released a ton of political information, including things like, um, voter registration deadlines and vote by mail deadlines just as a publicly available repo on github and so that wasn't you know an api so much as just like data that we're able to pull down and um that was that was incredibly helpful for us and i think super cool that you have the party doing things like that 
um, because it's not just helping them, it's helping Democrats all over the country. Um, so we're able to, you know, both use that and also submit back a bunch of changes via GitHub that, that you know, that we're either inaccurate or adding data that we collected ourselves to that. Um, so that was a super cool example of, uh, of using open data um, as part of this. But I think the, like, big story was that, like, if we were trying to get information about, like, who's on the ballot in what states and, like, where, how you can volunteer for different candidates and who are the, you know, who are the best candidates and what races are competitive, very little of this information is public. Um, and, like, even the competitiveness information was super interesting. Uh, as, you know, people are obviously obsessed right now with looking at, like, 538 to understand races and how competitive they are. But, like, one challenge for us was just, like, okay, there's races all over. Like, in order to give someone a real recommendation for what races they should care about, we need to know how competitive these races are, right? Is your local congressional race, like, a lost cause or could it happen? And so if we identified the, you know, five top providers of race competitiveness data and just wrote script to scrape them uh, every week, it was super hacky, but there was no other way to do it. And what's... What's the ETL setup look like? I mean, you're pulling in like all this, you know, quasi structured data, none of which I assume is in a similar format or certainly not a commensurate format. So what, what are the actual technologies that you're using to normalize that? Yeah, so it, on the ETL side, I will admit that it's it's reasonably hacky um, of um, just using Python to pull down the uh, you know sites and scrape as much information as we can and load it into into Postgres. Basically, um, it's as you'd expect, super fragile, um, and so as stuff changes, we need to revisit it. And we've also like. We've done some combination of like trying to scrape things automatically and using humans to double check that. So basically some combination of like, okay, we have a scraper script we've written that's pulling stuff in, but also creating a, a fairly simple CMS for our team to go in and make modifications when things aren't exactly right. And, you know, like when races get upgraded, um, those are things that we want to make sure to try to bring into the app as quickly as possible. And so, so, so yeah, I, I think like looking back at this, we certainly, we, we could have definitely done something more elegant on, on the ETL side. Uh, but, you know, we did kind of what we needed to do to, to pull in the data. So, okay. So you said you went zero, like idea to implementation starting July to now. Yeah. So, so we really started this like, in uh, May, June, I think is probably um, when we really started moving and ran some like very early experimentation to try to get a sense of how interesting this was. Did some paper-based user testing in San Francisco with like people at our WeWork uh, uh, basically. And um, yeah, so I would say like it was a couple months, like two, three months to get everything kind of out the door. Um, we decided at the last minute to change the brand and that created a ton of work. Uh, but it was, it was reasonably quick, um, from, from start to finish to try to, I mean, the hardest thing here was trying to pull together all the data and, and then think about how do we develop an algorithm that is 
reasonably sophisticated and gives people good suggestions, um, but also is like human explainable <laughs> so that we can, we can say like, here's your recommendation and here's why we made that recommendation, which for us was really important because we knew that it, this is like trust is really important in politics. And so making sure that people aren't, people aren't just going to say, oh, this algorithm told me to like volunteer for this candidate. So I'm going to do that. Uh, they want to know why. Um, and so, so, so I think that, you know, potentially uh, made, forced us to make it a little bit less complex. Uh, but that, that was an important part of it as well. So what's, what are the roles on the team and how'd you organize it? You know, to, so that, that's fast. That's a lot of people doing a lot of things, a lot of integration. Uh, you know, wh what's the project management paradigm? How'd you organize? Who are the people? What are they doing? I think that that's, that's a really important question for anybody trying to pull off an effort. I mean, at all and forget about, you know, that fast, right? So how'd you do that and how did that work? Totally. So we were um, doing weekly sprints um, from um, when we started this till, well, till now. Um, it was, um, we had the benefit of um, Purpose's um, really award-winning creative team, uh, which was fantastic. So basically we had like a creative team that was, um, riffing on the designs and trying to get that as locked as possible. Um, we had a full-time front-end and back-end engineer who was helping, you know, do some of the early experimentation. Um, and then actually, you know, when we were locking in, moving stuff to production, um, we had a writer and editor who was part of the team who was creating a lot of the content, figuring out third-party sources for a lot of the data. And I was sort of playing the jack of all trades, uh, scrum master, as well as, you know, product, um, pulling that together. And then we also had a DevOps person who was um, making sure that everything, you know, was automatable and that our deployment procedures made sense and, um, and that making sure everything get, like, we go, our deployment goes to get set up in AWS. Um, so that was roughly the team, and um, we got into our groove in June of like really being clear about what stories we were playing every week and, and doing demos every week and showcases and making sure we're all clear on, on what we're building and how. So it was definitely, it was a very, uh, it was a very ambitious project, but it was, you know, we had a, we had a really awesome team of, of different types of folks coming together. Fantastic. All right. Last, last question. So you built all this technology, um, election comes and goes, you collected a bunch of data. What do you see as the, the future of it? Does it become something else? Does it evolve? Do you open source the data? Like what, what are you thinking about there? Yeah. So we're really thinking about like, we think that there is, um, a lot of promise in this idea of helping individuals, um, have more agency in their activism in thinking about how they're going to solve like some of the biggest issues facing our world right now. Um, and so uh, we are really intrigued about thinking about how do we take the same approach that we did here, um, which is like based on a bunch of information, making a recommendation of a plan for how to solve a particular problem. In this case, that's winning the election. 
Um, but we think that type of solution is might work in a number of different domains in the social sector. Um, and so I think coming out of the election, um, first of all, there's definitely a lot of stuff that we've built, which is very specific for the election. But we do think we are keen to start experimenting with other domains. And, um, and we think that there's a core of tech here that can be shared across them. You know, essentially, um, an API that given a bunch of information can make recommendations on the most impactful plan for, uh, for solving a particular problem. And so we're, we're, I think we're going to spend a bunch of time trying to focus on that and trying to see if this approach will work in other domains, um, not least the 2020 election, uh, which, is, which is right around the corner. But we think on the issue side as well, you know, we know people are so interested in not just politics, but, but anything relating to how we can solve some really tough problems um, in the world right now. So, so we're excited about that and think we're going to probably have a fair amount of technical debt to clean up uh, after election day. But uh, we think there's a lot of problems here. Josh, thank you. This super enlightening. So much fun. Really good to have you here. And, you know, best of luck with the mission. And you got a crazy 50 days. So thanks, thanks much. so much. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.